0: The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as education and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. While generally considered safe for work by way of content, some language may be considered offensive by more sensitive viewers or listeners. All right, can's on, mic's up, level's good. You got me over there? All right, let's roll.
1: This is Booth the Booth, your direct line to the latest in home voiceover production with your favorite home VO experts throughout the industry, all across the internet, and all around the world. Booth the Booth is brought to you by the Narrowband Broadcast Network, NBBN. The focus is on you. By Andrew Scott Media, making your media matter. By Booth Stuff, unique VO fashion and swag that's as loud and proud as you are. And by the kind support of our viewers and listeners all around the world via Kofi. Kofi, helping you give back to the creators that help you the most. The session clock is running and all the mics are hot. So let's patch in and get this session started. Here's your host, VO coach, narrator and producer, Andrew Scott.
0: And hello and welcome back to Booth to Booth, the big little show all about VO. My name is Andrew Scott and today, I am absolutely thrilled and excited to speaking to somebody who is kind of been in the news cycle lately and for an absolutely wonderful, delightful reason. If you've ever been in New York, there's a really good chance that you've heard this voice. I'm going to be speaking with one of the most fascinating people with one of the most fascinating stories I know about Bernie Blast. Bernie, thank you so much for joining us here on Booth to Booth, how are you?
2: I am well, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is absolutely a treat. When uh, a couple episodes ago, I was chatting with my friend Gabrielle Nistico, and we had both seen the Washington Post, I believe, piece Mm -hmm. uh, that they did on you, and we were both kind of reveling in the story of you and your path in voiceover and Literally, the next day after the show went up, I got an email from you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how did you? How did you hear about the show? And uh, and and so on, so on, so on.
2: I have a setup where I get notifications if my name is mentioned in various places, and I got a notification that it was on this podcast. So, I went to look it. At- at it and found out, oh, okay, this is very interesting. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, so that's I, how I did
0: it. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank the gods of Google. Um, yeah, I, I, I run something similar, but um, it, it, it occurred to me that your story, for as unique as it might be to some of us, I don't feel that it's as unique as a lot of people might think. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is because, um, you know, we spend so much time in the professional voice arts, working on trying to find our, our genuine voice, right? Mm-hmm. The place where we speak from at, at our core. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there are so many people like you out there who are doing that search, but they're doing that search with a different motivation. Can you tell us first off, I, I suppose, um, how did you get into the voice arts period in the first place? And we'll just kind of let things I'll let things go from there.
2: Sure. Well, I never really, that was not my intention ever to get into the voice arts. I was always interested though, from about fifth grade on in working on the radio. I fell in love with radio as a kid. And you have to remember, this is radio in the 1960s. So it was a different animal than what we have today. A lot more personality. Everything was live and local and all those things that you hear about. And I wasn't interested in being a DJ. I was interested in being a newscaster. So that was what I aimed myself toward doing. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, I would sit down in my basement This sounds like a real nerd, but I would sit down in my basement and just read the newspaper out loud to try to develop my voice so that I could speak well. This is even before my voice changed to get it to roll off my tongue and be able to do pronunciation and be expressive with my voice and all those things that any of us want to do. And that was what I I aimed toward. And I went to Seton Hall University in New Jersey. They had a great college radio station, still do, I should mention. They just won a Marconi Award for best college radio oh, there you station go. in the All country. Right, so that was radio is one of those things you can't learn in the classroom. You can learn about rules and history, but you to do it, you have to actually do it yourself. You can't yeah. just do it in a classroom. And it was a great learning experience of, of doing that. And from there, I started working at different radio stations, primarily in the news and information area, uh, being a news, you know, first a stringer covering Board of Education meetings and city council meetings. And then my first job in New York City was as a news assistant where you do everything a reporter does except be on the air because I yeah. wasn't in the union yet. Right. And then about a year after I graduated, I had what was the biggest break for me ever. There was this new company called Shadow Traffic that was coming to New York. They had started in Philly moved to Chicago, and now we're coming to New York. And they had reached out to my university and asked if there were any recommendations they might have for potential traffic reporters. And fortunately, my name was one of the ones they gave. I went in, did the audition, not just for voice, but also geography, because Mm -hmm. they wanted people who knew the New York metro area and where the roads were and things like that. Right. And I was lucky enough to get the job. And they signed on the air December 3rd, 1979, and it was, like I say, the biggest break I could have gotten. Not only was I on the air in New York City, I was on two of the biggest radio stations, 77 WABC Music Radio and 1010 Winds, an all-news radio station. And I was on during drive time, both morning and afternoon drive time, which is the most listened to time of day. So the exposure was fantastic right it was, it was wonderful and that was really what launched everything else from there were
0: you always and by the way i was also that nerd in the basement uh <laughs> reading reading copy you know um or uh my thing was i i grew up listening to uh both jazz and classical music so i was down with my with my little microphone going you've been listening to wfmr ninety point seven fm you know and uh <laughs> At the same time going, you know, also, yeah, burnt toast and coffee time, 7.49 a.m. Will be, <laughs> um, Did you always have a fascination or interest in infrastructure and transportation? Or was that kind of like, well, that was the path in and, you know, here I am.
2: I would say I was always interested in things like maps and going places, whether it was by train or car or, Airplane, whatever it might be, but not to the extent of really researching it. It was just sort of a casual interest of something that I would enjoy doing. So, doing traffic reports was the introduction to the world of transportation. I had no idea that I would ever work in that field beyond being a traffic reporter. And that was quite a surprise for me.
0: How did you then get into the realm of? public address. The
2: train is departing. Please hold on while the train is moving. Please step in. The doors are closing. The train is departing. Please hold on while the train is moving.
0: Um, You know, that's something where I I think a lot of people in the voice arts and in voice over, we don't realize that that also is a viable part, uh, a viable career path. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I wound up at one point in time. I was, uh, my voice was being heard all over the country at a kiosk uh, that doled out um, disinfectant wipes for a shopping cart, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and we don't think about those infrastructure points of exposure. How did mm-hmm. you end up getting into into that realm?
2: Well when I left doing traffic reports after about five years, at that point in my life, my goal was to someday own a small town radio station. Because again, that love of radio. right? And I wanted to be able to serve the community. And I thought the best way to do that was by owning a small town radio station. So one area that I really had no experience in was the sales side. You have to pay the bills somehow mm-hmm. and I got a job at an excellent local radio station in New Jersey as a salesperson and I learned a very important lesson that I am not a salesperson
0: right <laughs>
2: that's that, what I learned
0: that the, the, that the traffic controller of a radio station is a very special person with a very special temperament and you're not it <laughs> right yeah
2: <laughs> and I just I was not good at doing cold calling and you know trying to pitch people on parting with their money Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, my former boss from Shadow Traffic had been hired by the New York City Department of Transportation to head up a new communications center that they were establishing. And he needed some staff. He had some people that came over from New York City DOT, but he needed some additional people. And he reached out to me and said, would you be interested in joining me? Since the radio sales thing was not working out, and by this point, I had a wife and a baby that I had to be concerned with as well, sure. not just myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I said, sure, I would be interested in that. Again, figuring that it was just an interim type of position uh, until I found something back in broadcasting. Right. And ended up there. Now, at the same time, this I don't want to get too complicated with this, but <laughs> there was another organization that was being set up by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey called mm. Transcom. And Transcom was, the idea behind it was to serve as a communications center for all of the different agencies in Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey. Right. And they had agency staff that came from the different agencies. And I was sent to them to represent New York City DOT. But it was just, a it was right up my alley because it was basically traffic information that we were sharing. We just weren't doing it on the radio. Right. With the Port Authority and the people at Transcom, knew of my background. In the meantime, I was hired by them to work for the Port Authority and would occasionally ask me to do video news releases, radio commercials if they had a big construction project, say at the George Washington Bridge, things of that sort. And so I was starting to do a little bit of the voiceover stuff, but again, it was just rarely done. It was an occasional thing that I would do. And it just... Grew from there. Um, one of the, the agencies that was part of Transcom was the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, New York uh, right. agency that runs the subways and the Metro mm-hmm. North and Long Island railroads. And one of the folks from there was involved with this project called the Countdown Clocks, which you'll see on the subway platforms. It tells you how long it will be right. before your particular train arrives.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And he said, I need a voice for this. Would you be interested? So that's really how I... Started specializing in transportation voiceover work.
0: It was just one of those opportune things on an as-needed basis that turned into, oh, we have Bernie do that.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, no. But, <laughs>
0: uh, I, it, it's it's so funny because. You know, you and I are only separated by about a generation. You're the tail end of boomers, and I'm a you know staunch Gen X uh, person. But we both have that experience of um, you know, right around the '70s to the early '80s, we started getting these fly-by-night broadcast schools, and um, you know, there are very few people in my in my cohort of of people. Who went to either a broadcast recording school or a studio recording school and actually wound up staying in that industry? It's more people like us who were doing like adjacent things mm-hmm. and just stuck around long enough because we were fascinated by what was going on around us.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. You know,
0: um, did you have any vision into the future? when you started working you know in in that environment did you have any vision in the future of still owning your your radio station or were you setting that aside going oh well no this apparently is my career now
2: well in a way I did um i remember back when i was in school in the 1970s in college that we would learn about the beginnings of radio in the 1920s and the beginning of television when it became popular in the 1950s. And I thought, wow, it really would have been cool to have been there and been in on the ground floor of these media when they were starting. But I figured there aren't going to be any new media coming along in my lifetime. Well, in the mid-1990s, suddenly this thing AOL that I had, and I'm thinking, oh, this might be an opportunity. This might be a new medium for me to get involved with. So I started doing some electronic newsletters, and that was sort of a, my entry into the world. But I would combine one of the newsletters that's still going to this day. It's over 25 years old. is about transportation communications. So it combined my two loves and my two career interests, communications and the transportation industry. And through that, I've managed to maintain and create many different people connections with people that i wouldn't have otherwise
0: there you go i tell you what we are going to come back and pick up this discussion uh on the other side of this break this is the narrow band broadcast network i am andrew scott that is birdie wagon blast and this is booth to booth or i suppose in this case uh talking broadcasting it's gonna be bullpen to bullpen (laughs) but uh we will be right back after this message please don't go anywhere bye-bye
3: Booth to Booth is brought to you in part by Bootstuff.com, the home of the world's most unique VO casual fashion and swag. You know, this thing that we do is pretty unique. So, slap on a Boothstuff t-shirt that tells the world, or, you know, your cat, that being in a tiny room by yourself is where you truly belong. Shirts, hats, pants, mugs, and more. Well, not a lot more. Actually, that's pretty much it. Anyway, Booth Stuff is the one and only home for vo swag that lets the world know what you do with that mouth of yours. So, head on over to BoothStuff.com and get something that shows the world who you are and what you love to do. BoothStuff.com. Loud and proud.
0: Welcome back to Booth to Booth. I am getting an opportunity to talk to Bernie Wagonblast, pretty much the voice of the tri-state transportation industry. Um, I had the opportunity, uh, and I cannot obviously point to one place or time, but in my time in New York, I'm almost certain that your voice was guiding me, uh, a young man, a young man lost in the big city uh, to to not get hit by the train or at least make sure to get off at this stop. You want to be on the Bombardier car, um, but um, I mean, yeah, Bernie, you've done what? Uh, AirTrain New York, AirTrain JFK, New York City subway, Travelers Information Station. Of course, you were also uh, the uh announcer during the laying of the cornerstone of uh the one world trade center uh in in new york did you ever in your wildest dreams think that so many people would be hearing you
2: no no (laughs) you know even though when i was on on 1010 wins, which was at the time it had the highest cume of any radio station in terms of the number of listeners. Yeah,
0: it was a massive, it was a, literally the the, the classic um, radio powerhouse kind mm-hmm. of thing, you mm-hmm. know?
2: And even that still pales in comparison to the number of people that hear me on the subway, because it's people who live in the city, people who work in the city, and so many people who visit the city. So It is
0: literally billions with a capital B. <laughs> Which kind of must make part of your brain itch?
2: <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> but I never, I never anticipated that. And you know, when I've seen stories and people describing my voice as iconic, it just—Are you t- you sure you're talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: I can totally understand it. I, I I do a lot of voice work on YouTube on a couple of very big YouTube channels, and. It it really was uh, a, an odd experience for me to to suddenly stop and realize that one quarter of the population of Earth uses YouTube every single day, mm-hmm. and that and knowing the guy who operates the channel and and being privy to the metrics. My voice has been heard over 1.2 billion times. Wow. Um, um, yeah, but my wow is nothing compared to your wow. <laughs> um, but let's, let's pivot a little bit. Um, and I guess I, I'm going to call it the elephant in the room and the reason why you've been in the news cycle. About a year ago, you suddenly made a decision. And as I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, we in the voice arts are so concerned about talking with our authentic voice, finding our authentic voice, all these ways of referring to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't you uh, take the lead and just lay out how you found that authentic voice and what it took to get there?
2: Sure. Well, let me start off really pretty much at the beginning, long before I knew about radio or anything else, I knew as a little kid that I felt more like a girl than I did as a boy. But again, growing up in the 1960s and the 1970s, I didn't feel that there was any way that I could realize that. And I managed to be aware of it, but suppress it as far as anybody else was concerned. It was something that I struggled with. I tried to learn as much as I could but it was something that was hidden from virtually everyone. And starting around 2017, it was getting to the point where I could no longer suppress it. I tried to do some things that would be invisible to anybody else, but would maybe give me some peace that I at least was making some progress. But it finally reached the point about a year ago where I knew that I had to socially transition. In other words, start letting the world see me as I always saw myself. And the end of December on social media, I had posted a note explaining what was going on. And that as of January 1st, 2023, I would be seen by the world as who I really always have felt myself to be. So I said in that, that some things aren't changing. You know, my pronouns are changing from he, him to she, her. My voice hopefully would change a little bit, but I kept the same name. Now Bernie is short for Bernadette. Yeah. So, you know, those things didn't change it. And my personality, I feel, has not really changed from what it was before. And it's been a learning process. The voice is one of the most difficult parts of a, a transition for a person, who was assigned male at birth and transitions to being female. Because once you go through puberty, your vocal cords thicken, and it's not easy to get your voice into a higher register. I should say that this is still a work in progress. What you're hearing now hopefully will not be where it ends, that I'm still working on this all the time, but it's a process. And you have to learn how to use muscles in your throat that even as a voice professional, I never was aware of. How do sure. you raise your larynx, for example, mm-hmm. and how do you change your resonance from being in your chest to more in your head and get your voice more forward in your mouth, things like that. And it has been a process, and I feel I've made a lot of progress when I listen to old recordings, mm-hmm. but I know I still have a long way to go.
0: I think that that's fascinating, too, that you know, for us in, in, in the voice arts, we We think of our many people think of their voice as a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us think of our voice as an instrument. Um, mm-hmm. And there are ways most people in in voice arts learn to manipulate or modulate their voice. but we we often don't think about our resting state of of voice. and Part of that is because we assume it's there. It's always there. You wake up in the morning. I pretty much sound like I sounded last night. Maybe my voice is a little thicker because I just woke up. But Mm -hmm. um, the idea for other voice performers to think about changing their natural resting voice, that must be daunting.
2: Oh, it is. You know, I I had professional help uh, with voice therapists that gave me some tips But the bottom line is it takes just a lot of practice. You have to get to the point where you start becoming aware of these muscles that you've never thought about before. And when I started out, I could try to get my voice into a higher register, but it'd be for maybe a minute or so before it got tired. And I didn't want to do any damage to this voice because it is one of the ways I make money. So I would, I would rest it. And so you do a little bit. But it got to the point where one of the things I would do is I'm driving in my car to practice. Okay, I'm driving down Walnut Avenue there. And now we're passing Walnut Avenue School and we're coming up toward the library. You're literally
0: narrating your your drive.
2: (laughs) Anything that or, or, or doing the Pledge of Allegiance out loud. Something that I could just work on the voice, you know, not even necessarily recording it all the time, just practicing it to try to get those that muscle memory to where I wanted it to be.
0: Well, and is some of it also, uh, he asks curiously, um, is some of it also affording yourself the opportunity to hear yourself differently? And, and not only that, to hear yourself differently, not with the cans on, not through a microphone, but just let your brain condition itself to this new form of this is me in much the same way as you had to give yourself space for that emotionally.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it it was part of that. It was, even today, as I'm talking to you, for example, I'm constantly judging and listening to the voice and I'm hearing things that, okay, it's starting to get a little too gravelly now and I have to adjust it. So I'm constantly making adjustments, even while I may have done that. When I was doing the so-called guy voice for voiceover, right, this is more intense. I'm much more paying attention to the voice as I'm speaking, and making changes on the fly.
0: It's interesting that you, in using your own term, uh, bring up the guy voice, mm-hmm. um, and also you know you were you just mentioned you know raspiness having heard you in the past, you did not have, you do not present in your male voice. You did not present a lot of vocal fry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not a very throaty speaker. You are much more a chest-centered speaker. I can hear most of your resonance comes from right around your clavicle and mm-hmm. just underneath your, your, your voice box. What have you discovered about your, your transitioning speech that is the most challenging thing for you to stay consistent with?
2: Well, I think that vocal fry is part of it, that I don't want to get into that. Someone else who had a background in broadcasting talked to me, and he said, because with my guy voice, my announcer voice, whatever you want to call it, I worked like a lot of people do to get that middle American, nondescript accent that network newscasters use and things like that and get rid of any New Jersey accent or New York area accent that I may have had. Local 7 train approaching the station. Please stand away from the platform edge. And he said, you did that successfully with your guy voice. But when I'm listening to the more feminine version of your voice, I am hearing some of that New uh, Jersey-ism coming through the
0: voice. I mean, do you think they said that as a way to help you steer clear of it? Or were they pointing to that as being, uh, see, you're relaxing into it?
2: I'm not sure either. I think they were just okay. being observant of something that they noticed mm-hmm. and something that I did not pick up with right. with this because I haven't been paying attention. That's that's one of the least worries I have is, is any accent that I have with this voice uh, because I don't use this voice professionally at this point. I mm-hmm. use the guy voice for anything I have to do professionally. And, In- including oh, your
0: podcasts? The
2: well, the two podcasts that I get paid for and that I have clients for, mm-hmm. yes, I use the guy voice for that. I do another one, and this gets back to that small town radio station that right. I talked about one day. I do a, a, a public service podcast for my hometown where I interview a lot of different f- folks from around town. And in that podcast, I do use this voice because that's not being done professionally, number one, or for pay. Let me put it that way. I hope hope I'm doing it professionally. But but also the people in this town, I think the majority of them know about me already Mm -hmm. and they have been tremendously supportive. So I feel comfortable using this voice for that local podcast that I do.
0: And uh, aside from the fact that I'm glad to hear that your community has embraced you uh, in that way, it kind of uh, takes us back to that desire that you had to have that small town radio station. you know, back when when I was doing it, we used to call that sub90 which is, you know, stations below 90.1 FM, right? <laughs> you know, you got a block of a, a couple community uh, community support radio broadcasters, and then everything suddenly was commercial from 90 on up. At the same time, you were dealing with the, you know, America Online thing, and that, yeah, yeah podcasts suddenly blew up. And now, when we think about broadcasting, you know i don't even think about radio anymore and part of me is actually very saddened by that
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: you know i feel like we are losing part of our culture that was so significant to so many of us how many of us kids were laying in bed with a bakelite radio under our pillow <laughs> getting way too hot and we're smelling the transistors <laughs> you know um that that's kind of gone but what we've gotten in its place now is what you're doing, the ability to have essentially a, a broadcast platform that is I don't want to say niche. I think niche kind of undervalues what it can be. Um mm-hmm. but talk to us about the podcast. Talk to us about, you know, your community and and what you're doing with it,
2: Sure. Well, again, let me focus first on on the lo- one I do for the local community, which I call Cranford Radio because that's the town I live in. And right. radio is so important to me that I wanted to include that as part of the name. Sure. It's it's something I started in 2014. So I've been doing it for a little while now. Yeah. And it's basically just, I, I call it an all things considered for Cranford. <laughs> there you go. It, it can be any time. If you're,
0: if you're going to steal a brand, you might as well steal a good brand.
2: <laughs> right. <Okay. laughs> so it might be a politician one week. Last week, it was... A sports person from town. It could be a business owner. It could be anything dealing with Cranford. Right. And I try to do a new episode once a week. I have a, a collaboration with a local community news site that they also will run the uh, podcast on their site. So it gets a little extra attention there go. through them. And it's, I think, It's one of the reasons, and this was certainly never on my mind when I started the podcast, but I believe it's one of the reasons that I've had such support from the community because people came to know me through that Mm -hmm. podcast. They knew my voice. I think voice is such a wonderful thing to be warm to people, to to build friendship with a a voice that you may never see the person, but they, they come to know you. And I think that was one of the big reasons why I had as much support as I did, because so many people in the town already knew me through the podcasts and things that I was doing. So that, I think, played a big role.
0: You know, when it comes to that, when it comes to that phenomenon, listening and and really having your experience of another person be the voice, mm-hmm. um, there are a few things in my life that have been... As powerful as that. Um, I have so many voices in my head, which, you know, you can <laughs> laugh about that if you want. It's both true and, you know, um, but I have so many iconic voices in in my life that mm-hmm. if I just stop and go quiet, i can I can hear them immediately, like I'm listening to them in headphones. Mm-hmm. and uh, i'm I'm encouraged to hear that your small community, is as connected to you um, as as they are, while at the same time going. We just this person's meant so much to us in such a unique area of our life that we just want their happiness. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. in 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 this day and age, uh, that is a wonderful shining light in a weary world, and that makes me smile. Let's talk though about. Your guy voice Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, on my on my podcast uh, with uh, Gabrielle Nistko, and I'll link to that up here. um, You know, one of the things that we brought up was that um, you, as you said as well, you use that. That is the thing that pays the bills to this day, for the most part. Um, Is there a distinct difference, not by way of voice? Mm-hmm. But by way of read. Are, do you notice that your diction is different? Is your placement different between your between Bernie and Bernadette? Um, you know, what are some of the differences that are obvious for you? And then maybe what are some of the unique differences that you've learned about between your two voices?
2: Huh, that's interesting. I I I've done haven't done a lot with reads with this voice other than practicing. And Mm -hmm. when I was practicing, I was not necessarily listening for some of those things that you talked about. I was listening more for how musical it was. Where was the pitch? Was it getting gravelly with, you know, that vocal fry? Those are the things I was paying attention to. I think one of the big advantages I had for helping to develop this more feminine voice was because of my professional voice work, I already had the musicality parked down. I was not a monotone speaker, either no. professionally or...
0: I, I would not say you were <laughs> any, anything close to monotone, dear, no.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that that's the stereotype for, for men, is that... Very
0: true. That, that is true.
2: ...are more monotone.
0: Mm-hmm. And, no, you no, were no, a very... Were more for, for, for your realm, you were a very... Dy- and you are a very dynamic speaker when it comes i mean again most people would not think about the material you delivering as being something that would take well to dynamism but no you're a dynamic read
2: and a lot of it also was ad lib you know when i was doing traffic reports you had notes in front of you but you construct the traffic report out of these notes live and you have to adjust and you're thinking about the timing everything and i think that also helped me quite a bit because I have to do this kind of work on the fly when I'm talking to somebody and it's not a script that I'm reading. It's just chatting with people. You know, and, even- that,
0: and that really is a difference between the broadcast realm and the practiced voice over voice arts realm is that, yeah, when uh, again, when you're in the bullpen, when you're in the cage and somebody just hands you the latest update about the wreck on the 405, mm-hmm. you know, the the. That's one of the reasons why I, as a voice coach, I encourage people not only to go get acting training, but to go get improv training, go mm-hmm. learn and work improv for a while, because it does give your voice some nimbleness that mm-hmm. you don't get by just holding your copy and going, this is my Bible. <laughs> this, these are my words. There are many like them, but this one's mine. Right. Um, so I, I find th- that interesting. What did you discover about your, your male masculine voice that I'm going to say it this way, that you've kind of felt relief about not having to carry along anymore?
2: Um, I think just, you know, I would, I would talk about the radio voice that Mm -hmm. was, you know, putting that on and not having to do that as much anymore. Again, if I'm doing an announcement, I would have to do something like that. But one of the interesting things, because I didn't get a whole lot of comments from a wide variety of people I didn't know before I transitioned. And hearing and reading comments that people make about my voice, my guy voice on the subway in particular, The train is approaching the station. Please stand away from the platform edge. Saying, oh, it's it sounds so friendly and reassuring. And I never thought that that, because if you go to New York, when you hear it on the subway, just to give you a little bit of background, it was the most unusual voice project I had ever done because I was in the studio and we had about a thousand different words or short phrases that mm. we had to record so you couldn't be terribly expressive with it because you weren't <laughs> sure where that word was going to be used in a sentence that the computer puts together so you know yeah, you're sitting-
0: yeah, to, to be clear for people we're talking about back in the day before true uh digital imposition where they was literally they would cut and paste things together so we're talking about the you are now at point one four two five you know, that kind of modulation because they're Mm -hmm. literally pasting this stuff together. And I've heard some of the original, some of the early work that you did that way, where, yeah, you really sounded kind of like Marvin the Paranoid Android. You were, you know, a little bit pasted together. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that must have been a, a, a significant challenge.
2: Yeah, because I was so used to being expressive with my voice. And here, I wasn't supposed to be expressive with what I was doing. I was, the idea was to, have it pretty much sound the same so just to give you a sample if you've never been to new york this is kind of what it would sound like it would be very staccato it would be the next downtown number two will arrive in three minutes please stand away from the platform edge and that last sentence is about the only one of the few sentences that i actually recorded it was everything else was downtown uptown
0: word by word by word
2: Right, exactly.
0: Well, I'm I uh I am honored to uh have had that voice and that read in this podcast. I feel like I've achieved some kind of milestone now. Uh, but um you know, as we wrap up Bernadette, I want to give you an opportunity to say anything that you feel you want to, to anybody listening out there about w- finding your authentic voice. And by that, I mean, of course, your physical voice and your spiritual voice. Uh, you, you're you inspiring to me. You're inspiring to many. I'm sure that there were, were people who were quietly inspiring to you. Mm-hmm. Um, just... What does it mean to you now to be able to just be the Bernadette that you are?
2: The word I've used is it's a magical experience because I never anticipated that I would get to this point. I always thought that this was going to be something I would have to suppress my entire life. And to be able to do this now, finally, is something that is like a dream. I was saying for the first six months or so, I was afraid I was going to wake up and find out that this was all a dream that I was having. A good dream, not a nightmare, a good dream. And now I think I've gone a little bit past that. There's been too much that it could have been a dream. No dream runs this long. (laughs) But it has been just magnificent to, to be able to do this, to experience life like this, to have the acceptance that I've had. But I also feel an obligation that I know there are a lot of people who are like I was that are hidden and not sharing this and that I can be something of an inspiration to them. And it's not just that I transition, but I transitioned in my mid-60s. So it's never too late to be able to do this. There's still a lot to... Explore and enjoy. I would say that's a big part of it. The same way I tried to learn as much as I could about radio when I was a kid, I tried to learn about this as much as I could. So I knew what I was getting into and what to expect. There are still always surprises, but still there has been so much that at least I was prepared for that was because of that research and learning and talking to people, others who had paved the way for me. And I hope I'm helping to pave the way for some others.
0: I have a sneaking suspicion that you are, and uh, personally, I am deeply uh, uh, grateful for you and your visibility and your story and your coming on and sharing it with us. Uh, Bernie, do you have any points of contact that people can follow you on, uh, social media, anything like that that you want to give
2: out to people? Well, maybe I'm showing my age a little bit, but I'm not terribly active on things like TikTok and Instagram. I I am there, but not terribly active Uh, showing my age. I am on Facebook and LinkedIn. So those are places where people can find me. And I'm pretty sure I am the only Bernie Wagon Blast. I'm
0: pretty sure you are, too. Yeah, (laughs) I tell you, I'll just make this easy for you. Any information on Bernie Wagon Blast is down below in the show notes. Bernie, thank you so much for coming on the show today and having a chat with us. I hope that at some point in the future, you get to come back uh, and, and talk to us. Uh, but uh, until we speak again, please know that uh, you've got one more person that is thrilled to be able to hear your authentic, genuine voice.
2: Well, thank you so much, Andrew. It has been a pleasure to be a guest. Thank you.
0: No, thank you. And, you know, everybody else, obviously follow Bernie at the links that I put down in the description. If you would like to help us out and support Booth to Booth, you can do so. The Patreon link is down below and you can follow us on all our other social media. But until next time, everybody, I am Andrew Scott. That is Bernadette Wagon Blast. And this is Booth to Booth. And as always, see you in the booth, people. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, this has been Booth to Booth with Andrew Scott. Booth to Booth is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with andrewscottmedia.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Our theme music was written and produced by Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative. Christopher Vacano, webmaster. Available at vacanocreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got topic ideas, questions, or comments for the show? Email us at patchin at booth booth or by simply clicking the link in the description. On behalf of host Andrew Scott, I'm Gwen Steele. From our booth to yours, thanks for joining us. See you next time. On Booth to Booth.
0: NBBN.
2: The Narrowband Broadcast Network.
0: The focus is on you.